The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So before I go on, um, I wanted to just review a little bit about the instructions tonight, and I'll be using these mindfulness of breathing instructions formally following the Anapanasati Sutta, this discourse the Buddha gave on the mindfulness of breathing instructions. So we went through the first eight instructions today, and uh, I always like at the beginning of the year to do a little bit more formal meditation instructions for several weeks, so probably for the next four to six weeks. I'll keep returning to these same instructions, and you'll find you just start memorizing them. And it's just one way to structure or organize your sitting practice, but it's one of the more traditional ways. And for most people, mindfulness of breathing is a very useful technique. So even if it's not your predominant way of meditating, it's a nice technique to get the basics of so you can use it when it's appropriate to use it. And it follows a real simple formula. The first part, we're just learning to track the physicality of breathing with enough alertness, enough attentiveness, that we can also be thinking, worrying, planning, remembering, judging at the same time. And this is true, of course, in many of our just activities of life, if we're doing it, some activity like washing the dishes or being aware of breathing in, with enough continuity, enough alertness, then we have to put down everything else. You can't be doing both things. You can't be thinking about the future and be at the same moment alert, attentive to the physicality of breathing in. It's such a simple way to drop the whole world of this and that, good and bad, past and future, who I am, who I think you are. This is the world of concept or the world of thinking, the world of our ideas. It's actually possible. We think of this maybe incorrectly as the end of our practice. You know, we get to that place where we drop our concepts or are free from our ideas of good and bad, this and that, me and you. But actually, it's a much more, uh, the initial stages of developing the practice is starting to have the experience of putting down the world. And one of the easiest ways is to learn with either the breath or any other number of skillful means, learning how to show up in such a full, complete, continuous way with awareness that there's no space in the mind to be cogitating with concepts about who I am, whether I'm doing a good job in my meditation set. Like even that idea is in the way of doing a good job in your meditation. (laughs) Thinking that you're meditating means you're not meditating in that moment. Now in the next moment, you may be meditating, but when you're thinking about meditating, then you're thinking, which is different than the meditation. Now of course we do think in our meditation, but it's useful to understand that that's not the point. That's just the habit that's reasserting itself in the moment. It's just that. It's just that habit to conceptualize, to think, and then to think about our thinking, and then to think about the thinking that was about our thinking. And of course, that could fill up the whole half an hour, 45 minutes, hour of our sit, 
unless we have a vehicle to drop that addiction to thinking, like being present with the body or being present with the movement of the breath in the body. And having trained the mind to be alert enough, tracking the actual physicality of breathing enough so that we're able to discern if it's, is it an in-breath or an out-breath, right? We need to be alert enough to know that much and even a little bit more, like what kind of an in-breath is it? Smooth or rough? Long or short? So these are the first two instructions that the Buddha gives with mindfulness of breathing. Basically, inviting us uh, to track with awareness a non-judging, continuous, alert awareness, enough, just enough to be able to discern that we're breathing in and it's like this, short, smooth, long, rough, whatever that. And it's not about making the breath a particular way. It's really about the continuity of this presence, this mindful presence. So we're tracking. That's the first step. And then when you get pretty good at tracking, you can shift to the next instruction where we're breathing in and we're realizing that it's not a focused or an exclusive attention to the breath where we're blocking out the rest of reality, but that when the mind is open and clear, it's an inclusive awareness. So even though we're tuning in or we're attentive to the sensations, like some of you might feel your breath at the nostrils, so you're actually feeling that touching, right? Because it's a touching experience. The air is touching the nostrils as it's going in. It's touching. Other people feel the breath in the belly. So then you're feeling movement, right? You're feeling, you're actually feeling the abdominal wall moving as it expands out and moving as it contracts in. So whether you, it's here or here or whether some, doesn't have to be any particular way, whatever the physicality, however that physicality of breathing is most apparent to awareness, then use that, track that experience. At the nostrils or down in the abdominal wall, they're the two classic places to pay attention to breath, but there are others depending on your particular physiology or structure of your body may be a little bit different. You might feel it in your chest or however. But you're tracking it enough and then you want to begin to notice an inclusive, that that awareness of the in-breath or out-breath can be inclusive. It doesn't have to be exclusive or tight. It doesn't have to be sort of narrow or focusing in on just that. But you can notice that as you're feeling or knowing the breath coming in, the awareness of all the body is right there. Breathing in, feeling the whole body, experiencing the whole body. Breathing out, experiencing the whole body. And as I mentioned in the guided meditation instructions, it's, that's very relaxing. And it, it will uproot a habit of trying too hard. You know, the thing about knowing the breath or anything, anything that's here in the present moment, it feels like I personally, it's almost like we think of awareness as a spotlight. And I have to personally direct it, you know, in different places to do my meditation job. And it feels like a responsibility, feels like work. But that's not actually the way awareness is. Just like in the same way, 
you don't have to personally try to hear me right now. You can, in a sense, relax into the awareness that's already here. The mind is already awake or aware. And you're hearing my voice right there. Now, you could concoct an idea that Mark is talking over there and I have to sort of physically, energetically lean in to hear him, concentrate on what he's saying. But that's not actually helping you hear me. But we do that all the time. But we don't have to do that. It's the same thing with the breath. Some people get headaches when they're doing mindfulness of breathing because they have this idea, you know, that they have to look at their nostrils when they're breathing in or out or they have to, you know, focus on their belly when they're breathing in and out. And they get tight, like either there's tension in their eyes or there's tension in the experience wherever they're paying attention to the breath. But where are we knowing the breath, the sensations of the breath? We're knowing it in the mind. Right? That's where the sensitivity manifests. It's already manifesting in the mind. It's the mind that knows the breath. The belly doesn't know the breath. The nostrils don't know the breath. The mind or the heart knows the breath. Right? The knowing knows the breath. And where is the knowing? Well, it's here. It's at the heart of things. Right? So we... Part of this inclusive awareness is realizing that knowing is right in the center of things. It's right here. We don't have to go anywhere to get to the knowing. The knowing is already right here. And in the knowing, as long as I'm not excluding things, then everything is here in the knowing. The whole experience. So even though I might be choosing to know the experience or attuning to the in-breath or the out-breath, everything else is right there in the periphery. And we can notice the wholeness or the holistic nature of that knowing. And that's the third step. Breathing in, knowing the whole body. Breathing out, knowing the whole body. And remember, you don't have to, but whenever it's skillful for you, whenever it supports the continuity of your awareness, the steadiness of your practice, then you can use a phrase like that. You can actually, for a few rounds, use that phrase, breathing in, knowing the whole body. Or you can simplify it, whole body as you breathe in, whole body as you breathe out. Of course, you'll be repeating that silently in your mind. So don't be afraid to experiment with meditation words or meditation phrases when it helps to stabilize the practice because we're creating a new habit. We have a good habit, uh, not a good habit, we have a habit, it's called distraction. You know, the mind basically, one thought leading to the next. Now we're creating a different habit to be tracking the present moment experience of the breath, for example. That's a new habit. And to feel the whole body as you're breathing in and the whole body as you're breathing out. And to notice the calming effect of that as you breathe in and as you breathe out. That's the fourth instruction. Breathing in, calming the whole body. Breathing out, calming the whole body. It's not like you're actually trying to calm the whole body. The calming happens by noticing calm. Even if, you know, your experience is characterized 99% agitation, 1% calm, you don't look at the agitation in the body. You look at the calm, the 1% calm. So it may not be the biggest thing in your bodily experience in that moment as you breathe in. 
but you're tuning to that. And then that's what causes the sense of calm, bodily calm, to spread. It's by noticing it, attending to it. Oh yeah, this is calm, breathing in. Oh yeah, this is that experience of calm. And then what we're doing with the first set of four instructions is just creating a beautiful instrument. We're using awareness of the body, in this case specifically the breath in the body, to stabilize attention. And it's the mostly what we're doing is from a fragmented way of being to a holistic way of being. So the body and mind are coming together. They're not split apart. Most of the time, we're disconnected from the body. You know, the body, it's there, vibrating with sensation, but we're pretending it ain't there, or we're not attending to it, or if we do attend to it, we hate it, or we love it, but we're not just integrated in this sort of non-judging presence with the body. So for these first four, we're creating this beautiful harmony, integrity, holistic integrity, and the mind gets really stable because of that. And that stability begins to express itself with the fifth instruction. This is what the Buddha is inviting now with the fifth instruction. Breathing in, experiencing, train your mind to experience the joy. Breathing out, experiencing the joy. Now here, we have a lot of misconceptions about what joy is. So you have to, it's important, especially if you're new to practice, to take a fresh attitude about what you're going to experience with joy. Joy, a a more uh, basic definition of joy is a kind of uh, movement, like the experience of the body and mind, not fixed, not congealed, but free, freely moving, freely uh, unfixed. And that's a pleasant feeling. In the same way that being contracted being fixed, my idea, you know, I'm good, you're bad, or you're good, I'm bad. So whenever, however we get fixed, I want to go home. That's not a pleasant feeling. But when the mind is, and again, it may be 1% movement and 90% fixed, but with this instruction, the Buddha is saying, train yourself, breathing in, experience joy. Train yourself, honey. When you breathe out, experience joy. So it's a training. We're training the mind to attune, to notice the joy as you're breathing in. The joy in the mind, the movement, the unfixedness of the mind, the lightness. When things things can only be heavy in the heart when they're solid, the seemingly solid or fixed. But when things are movement not fixed or in process, changing, they have the feeling of lightness, buoyancy, freedom. So this is the experience of joy when something feels like it's flowing or moving. Now we even have colloquial phrases like this, like I was in the flow, I was in the groove. Oh, I'm really caught. That's how we talk about suffering. I was really caught, I was really bound up with that. 
So we know this experience when things are fluid and flowing and unfixed and alive and real. You know, it's, we feel enlivened, like things are happening. So we know that now what we're doing is we're training the mind to notice this and to attend to this in a more continuous, systematic way because it's very healing and it develops the mind even further. Because it's interesting, all along in the awakening or insight process, we're always doing two things. We're cultivating the instrument, the mind or heart, that can have insight and we're having insight. And we need to be doing both of those things or attending to both of those things all the way along. This means in our sit and then more generally through the course of our years, decades of practice, we're doing two things. We're having insight, which means we're seeing things we haven't seen before about the nature of the mind and heart. And we're cultivating a mind and heart that can actually see things it hasn't seen before. And this can get a little confusing when you hear instructions, you know, we'll read some of the Buddhist teachings, but you just have to remember sometimes the instructions or the teachings are more focused on developing the heart so that it can have insight And sometimes the instructions or the teachings are really talking about the kind of insights, what you're going to see when you have a stable, clear heart or mind. And these mindfulness of breathing instructions are classic in the way that they're integrating both insight and calm and creating or developing this beautiful instrument, you know, a balanced, stable, clear, non-judging awareness that can see the mind. It's not about having insight into the breath. We're really having insight into the mind that's knowing the breath. The breath is an object of of experience that allows the mind to see the mind itself. We're using the mind to see the mind or to know the mind And it's just a lot easier to study the mind when it's grounded in the experience of knowing the breath or knowing the body or knowing the experience of walking or whatever or contemplating a particular theme of like loving kindness or impermanence. So there are many objects of awareness that we use in practice. Mindfulness of breathing is just one and especially useful in the beginning. But the beginning might be many lifetimes or definitely many years. So don't be in a hurry to go beyond breathing. And the way that it's developed, the mindfulness of breathing, it will take you the whole way if that's your vehicle. If you, you know, grow to like it, you just follow the instructions. We're just at instruction number five, breathing in, experiencing joy, training the mind, breathing out to experience joy. Then after joy is sukha or ease, and that's where I left us. We just did six out of the 16 instructions. But that's that's quite a lot, just to get to the point of experiencing sukha, or ease, or that relaxation of the heart. Because when the mind is aware of joy, then part of the neurotic tendency of the mind begins to quiet down because the mind doesn't want to go anywhere. It's experiencing joy. 
And because it doesn't need to go anywhere, it doesn't need conditions to be different than they are, that part of the mind that sort of wants things to be other than they are, it relaxes. And that feels like ease. Ah, I don't need things to be other than they are. Now just imagine, again, this is not that far away. We could be sitting here together and some of you or all of us to some degree, you know, we want this moment to be different than it is. Like We'd like it to be 8.30 now so we can go home or whatever it might be. I'd really like to get what he's talking about. <laughs> so we could be having a problem with the way it is. But it's not that far from us to notice, even though it may not be perfect this moment, isn't it true that we can notice that, well, yeah, this is okay. It may not be the way I want it to be, but I can be at ease. Can't this moment be okay enough? You feel that ease, like not really, not needing. I'm, I know it will change, but I'm okay with the moment being the way it is. I'm okay with how things are unfolding right now for me. I don't need to be at war with the unfolding nature of experience. I can just trust nature, the nature of the body and the mind and everything else that's unfolding. I can just trust my life, the unfolding of this life. That gets that points in the direction of ease. So this sixth instruction, we're training the mind to notice the quality of ease and to begin to notice it everywhere through the mind and body until there's no place where it hasn't pervaded. Like wherever, whatever we notice, it's, it's colored by the feeling of the sense of ease, contentedness, happiness, that inner relaxation. And then that place, we notice the activity of the mind. It's not actually that easy to observe the mind when we're already entangled with the activity of the mind. You know, when we're really self-conscious, let's say, or defensive, it's not, unless you've been practicing for a long time, it's not so easy, in a sense, for awareness to step outside of the defensiveness and observe it. It ends up being, def we're defensive about being defensive or angry about being angry or greedy about the greed because the awareness is colored by the mood or by whatever emotion has been triggered. But when we have a lot of sukha, a lot of that ease, then when mental activity, because mental activity is being triggered all the time, every time a thought is thought, it triggers another little blip of mental activity, or every time we sense something, see something, touch something, smell something, hear something, it will trigger something, right? Because we have all these dispositions, all these tendencies that are just, in a sense, in the subconscious, just waiting to express themselves when the right stimuli, stimulus is there. But now, those arisings are going to be experienced from a point of calm and ease. So we see him very clearly. Oh, that's just that little thing being triggered, that little mental activity that's going to have its own particular arc 
and then it will go away. It arises, it blooms, it expresses itself, a little moment of fear, a little moment of desire, a little moment of self-consciousness, a little moment of love, a little moment of patience, whatever that is, it's just it has its own particular arc and then it's gone. So in terms of deepening the understanding of the mind and further quieting the mind, this happens best when the mind, it's always this chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Like when the mind has a lot of ease, has a lot of calm, has a lot of joy, then it's relatively easy not to be confused by the different distractions that arise. They have a very, distractions can have a very short life. It's just that moment. Because sometimes we, in practice, we think we got to stamp it all out. We got to control the thinking mind. Because if anything comes out, if anything like gets let loose of, you know, I'll be lost. Because one thought will lead to another. But now, with this, in this stage of practice, we're not afraid of a thought, a worry, a judgment, even despicable little mental blips, or really profound thoughts. They're just a thought. Because there's enough contentedness that the mind doesn't take the bait. Whether it's a really beautiful thought or emotion or really despicable thought or emotion, it's just that. And so things quiet down even further. So I'll leave it here. I wanted to just cover this so you can get a sense of where we'll go. And we'll, we'll develop the other instructions as we go further. And I'm going to continue talking about the Four Noble Truths following in Joseph Goldstein's book. But let's take a few minutes now and see if you have any questions about the meditation instructions using mindfulness of breathing as a technique. Anything not clear or any experiences in your sit tonight that you want to bring up? And please say your name. My name is Ellen. Um, I was just wondering, so about when calm arose, she noticed that little silent cheer. And it's totally appropriate. I mean, it may not be helpful, but it, it, it's such a deep habit in the mind that when something nice happens, the part of the mind really likes it. And it's like, well, this is what I've been looking for. So you can't, you don't need to stop yourself but you can just notice that silent cheer. It sounds like you did. And that's what I meant about the arc. So there may be a moment of attachment, like identifying with the calm, taking it personally, and then rejoicing, getting excited about it. But you can either take the bait and continue like, oh, maybe I'll always be calm for the rest of my days. And can you imagine when my friend Sally sees how calm I am? And... <laughs> You know, and just imagine, start imagining your life as a calm person and like how successful I'll be at my job because nothing will rattle me. And, uh, or 
you can just let that momentary identification with the calm and that, that exuberance that comes out of the identification, just let it have its arc, its time in the light, and don't take the bait, because it will go away. It's just a thought. If you don't, aren't afraid of it, then it will just arise, show itself, and go away. And that's the key, because you don't have to get tight about attachment, but you don't want to be irresponsible and sort of let the mind sort of take the bait and run with it. And the thing that we'll learn over and over again is it doesn't help to be attached. Like wanting calm is not the cause for calm. What's the cause for calm? It's right built right into the instructions. Honey, please train yourself when you're breathing in to notice calm. Please train yourself as you're breathing out to notice calm. It's the awareness of calm that develops calm. Noticing calm develops calm. And this is a general principle with the mind or with the heart. Noticing the wholesome qualities strengthens them. No matter what the wholesome quality is. You want to develop more compassion in your life or more kindness in your life or more gratitude in your life, more forgiveness in your life. Notice it. Don't want to be grateful or forgiving. Notice the forgiveness that's actually there now. However faint, like I said earlier, it may be 99% resentment, but if there's 1% forgiveness, notice it, and it will get stronger. It's the not noticing the wholesome qualities that keep them weak and in the far into the background. So when you feel a little... Uh, exuberance or a little attachment to the calm, then what would be nice is for wisdom to arise in the mind and say, okay, honey, what do you know is actually a supporting cause for more calm to arise? And then you will remember now, oh yeah, noticing calm is the cause for calm. Wanting calm is the cause for greed. Greed is an agitating state of mind, right? It's juicy on the surface, but it's tight just below the surface. Like I can get really jazzed about a new computer or really jazzed about this or that. And on the surface, it's kind of juicy when we have greed or lust. But under, if you just have enough wherewithal to look below the surface, you'll notice how much tightness there is with greed. It doesn't lead to calm. Thanks, Ellis. That's a good, good thing to bring up. Other questions about these mindfulness of breathing instructions that come to mind? Yeah, Rob. Uh, just the uh, experience of going through the whole body and then starting to notice little tension and things like that. And the thought that I had was, well, this is probably what I'm going to go on. It's like you, what you were talking about with what you notice Well, there's some truth to what you're saying, and, and in any case, it's a really important point you're bringing up. So if you didn't hear what Rob mentioned, he was saying that in that instruction, breathing in, noticing the calm, breathing out, experiencing the calm, um, that sometimes as we're, not, I'm sorry, not the calm, but the whole body, that when we're feeling the whole body, naturally there will be places in the body, and sometimes a lot of places in the body, 
that aren't feeling good, they're feeling tight or contracted or whatever, painful even. And so it's a real art, isn't it? It's like there may be some place in the body that is feeling relatively calm. So we always have that place to come back to, breathing in, feeling that place of where the experience, the sensation is actually neutral or maybe even a little pleasant, right? And then we're sort of teasing, well, how about this place? Don't go right to the most painful place until you have a lot of confidence, right? Just start, it's like a slow spreading, like go where it might be relatively easy to notice some calm. And again, there may be some discomfort in that part of the body, but you're not going to tune to that. You're going to tune to the truth of how it's not intense. So it, it's really a matter of like what the mind is attending to. What's it paying attention to? And you can always back go back to the place where the body is calm. Now there is a place in practice where we're confident and we intentionally look at the pain with wisdom. That's just how it is. It's just these intense, unpleasant sensations. And we're really seeing the impersonal nature of that. And we're seeing how liberating it is to not react with aversion to the unpleasantness of it. But that's not what we're doing right now with this practice. We're really learning how to spread the feeling of calm through the whole body by just attuning to that. So your instincts are right that if you immediately do more of a, what we call Vipassana practice, we go to what's predominant. And often what's predominant is unpleasant sensation. And that's what we do. We, we're actually trained to do that in our meditation instructions. And it's important to know there are many different meditation instructions. And we teach a lot of them here at Common Ground. So it's up to everybody to understand like there's more than a couple handfuls of skillful means. And you have to, it's, it's a little difficult at first, but you have to learn not to be confused by the different instructions so you know what you're doing. Okay, I'm doing the mindfulness of breathing with a strong integration of calm and insight. But with the mindfulness of breathing, we really lead with the emphasis on calm, supporting deeper insight. Sometimes we, the instructions you get from me and other teachers here would be more what we call the open awareness practice, where we're not, we're not emphasizing the use of calm and the use of an anchor, but we're just letting the attention notice, awareness notice, whatever's predominant. And we're practicing a more radical fearlessness with whatever arises in the space of awareness, that's the object of meditation in that moment. And we're seeing it as something that comes and goes, that's impersonal, and if ever the mind takes it personally, immediately there's some dukkha, some stress in the mind because the mind is taking the experience personally. That thought is my thought. And all of a sudden, it feels heavy, that thought. Even if it's a nice thought. But the identification on it, or with it, is heavy. So that's more the open awareness or open attention practice. But here we're really trying to see the calm, spread it through the body. See the joy, spread it through the mind and body. See the ease, spread it through the mind and body. So we're developing a more profound quality, emphasizing a more profound quality of quiet and calm and inner peace, inner ease, 
to then begin more of the insider vipassana practice, the wisdom side of the practice. Thanks, Rob. Good point to bring up. Other thoughts about the instructions tonight or your meditation experience that you'd like to clarify? Yeah, I don't know your name. Angie. Well, it is nice to use some of these techniques to help sleep at night, but don't use your main meditation technique to go to sleep at night. Because like you suggest, you will train yourself to go to sleep. (laughs) I'll give a a funny story. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more now, Wynn and I, my wife and I, had the opportunity to go to France and do a three-week retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, a very well-known Buddhist uh, monk and teacher from Vietnam, but he has several monasteries in France. And uh, for years before, Wynne had uh, used uh, some of his Dharma talks and chanting to go to sleep. <laughs> so there we are. And, and the thing about Thich Nhat Hanh, anyway, is he has such a powerful vibe of calm. I mean, it's just, this is a retreat with 700 people. But he walks in the room and just the energy settles because he has a very strong, calm presence. But it was almost impossible for her to stay awake during his Dharma talks because she had trained herself. You hear his voice, it's safe. You can go to sleep. (laughs) So, yeah, we want to use a technique, whatever it is, like body scan, loving kindness is a nice technique. And then just have a particular structure that you just use at night when you're going to sleep. It's a really nice way to fall asleep, to give your mind a particular theme of loving kindness, but in a particular way that you don't use at other times. Because uh, otherwise your mind will be confused. Like, are you trying to put me to sleep or are we trying to develop deeper insight about the nature of the mind? So don't worry about what, you've done so far and you can there are ways to evoke interest like it's pretty amazing to notice what it's like when the mind isn't dominated by concept and thought i mean it's literally an altered state even that first two instructions where the buddha is um, asking us to just notice the in-breath and out-breath, and just notice it with enough clarity to notice whether it's long or short. Right? Those are the first two instructions, basically tracking the breath. So just that it's pretty amazing to have a little distance from the inner dialogue or the inner commenting or mental proliferation. It may be there still, but it will be somewhat in the background. And to really see that dynamic between, see, there's a a third choice. Normally, in an untrained mind, there are two choices. We're either unconscious, we fall asleep, or we're thinking, right? And now we're, we're realizing this other reality, which is being very alert, 
but not the mind not colored or not dominated by conceptual meaning. Even if there is thinking, but it's in the more in the background. It's not really coloring the mind so much. The mind has and then we're sort of learning or discovering it's literally a new land, a new reality, call call it something like non conceptual awareness. Right? So it's a knowing of the breath or the sensations of the breath without needing a word breath or a word in breath or out breath or smooth breath. You don't need those words to know smoothness and to know that it's an in breath or an out breath. The sensations themselves aren't conceptual. You don't need an image of the breath, it's just the tactile physical experience of breathing in, breathing out. And it's, it's not so much that that's so amazing, but the mind not dominated by thought is amazing. And that will make the mind a little bit more alert and bring up that interest. It's like to see it in revolutionary terms. Like this is, this is like people going to the moon or people doing this or that. You know, it's pretty amazing when human mind is willing to do the appropriate work or training to start realizing a non-conceptual reality. And it, it really allows then the perspective to study what the conceptualizing process is. We can't really study it from the point of view of concepts. That's called philosophy. Thinking about non-conceptual mind is philosophy. Experiencing it, like when we're in that really quiet non-conceptual place, and then mental activity arises. Then we're seeing the mental activity as an event instead of me thinking. Right? It's just a mental activity, a mental event. And there's, there's room for a lot of discovery, a lot of insight in that. So you have to um, generate the interest, like have some sense that there's real value in learning about the mind. It's such an essential part of being alive or being a human being. And we, most of us, have not systematically investigated the nature of the mind. We don't even know how to begin that. We know how to think about the mind, but that's not investigating it directly. Anything else? Yeah. Um. At the very beginning of the talk, talk about uh, experiences. Uh, and so, sort of starting off and focusing really hard on the breath, like I'm feeling that kind of tightness. Um, and, and I feel like I do that most of the time when I start off. Uh, but then later on, we talk about um, being aware of a particular thing or, or training your awareness to be on that 1%. I guess I'm having trouble understanding the difference between focusing with tightness on the moving and sort of this awareness, training the awareness on the particular part of the experience. Yeah, well, it's a real switch. So the first two instructions aren't so much uh, directing your attention to a particular theme, it's really just about tracking the physicality of breathing. And you could just use general bodily sensations or you could use walking if you're walking. So that first two, those first two instructions are 
breaking the spell of endless conceptualizing thinking, right? And then once we've done that, then we're stabilizing the attention by training the mind to notice the inclusive nature of the awareness, the calming nature, the joyful nature, the easeful nature. So it's really a refinement of happiness or inner pleasure, basically. Because that really stabilizes this awareness. So we're moving, we're sort of developing samadhi with these trainings. So the mind is becoming more stable, more clear, more bright, more refined, more subtle, so that it can really do the work of meditation. I mean, of course, we're meditating to do that, but we're also creating the instrument that can have deeper insight. But the first step is just getting in the ballgame, which means we have to break the spell of thinking. Now, let's be honest. The first part is by far the hardest part. So we have to be willing to start over and over again. Think about, here we are, think about how long we've been thinking about things. And thinking about things has been, I mean, it's how we feel safe. We're not like our ancestors who were worried about saber-toothed tigers. What we're worried about is like what people think about me. And so I'm going to think about that. In the same way I might have created a, a shelter for myself in the past, now I'm going to think about how I'm going to present myself or how I'm going to talk to this person or you know, thinking about the past and thinking about what happened in the uh, past and thinking about what might happen in the future. So we use thinking as a survival strategy, but not physical survival, but psychological, feeling okay about who we think we are. So thinking, in a neurotic sense, is how we try to survive as a psychological being, somebody who thinks they are this or thinks they are that, thinks they're good, thinks they're bad. So we're quite addicted and dependent on thinking. So to just do that training, to um, not be lost in conceptual thought, not be confused by thinking for a length of time, is a real breakthrough. Huge. People see this first step as a mystical experience. And in a way, it, it really is a mystical experience. It's an altered state. It's really a normal, ordinary state. But because we inhabit almost all the time an unusually neurotic state, it's, it's really powerful when we realize we can drop out of that. It's like people play basketball and for 10 seconds, they're not thinking. They're just playing. And it's like, a highlight of their life where they're walking through the woods and they see a you know, strange bird fly by and they're just there, not thinking about it. And then they can spend the rest of their life thinking about that experience that didn't have any thinking in it because it was so unusual. But see, this is a way we can inhabit this space all the time. And we can go back and forth. It's not that we want to stop thinking. We just want moments of thinking to be informed by a clear understanding of moments 
of not, the mind not confused, not imprisoned by thought. Because now, because we're so in the space of thinking, we don't know reality without concepts. But reality has nothing to do with concepts. Like the reality of being at Common Ground on Sunday night, and you've heard me, I use this a lot, like the reality of being at Common Ground on Sunday night is not dependent on the concept Common Ground, not dependent on the concept Sunday night, not dependent on the concept or idea of me or you or Minneapolis or winter. We don't need any of those concepts to know this experience. This experience has nothing to do. The experience of me, you know, whatever this is for me, this direct, immediate experience, has nothing to do with the biography I would tell you if you asked me who I am. Oh, I was born in 1958. I grew up in North Minneapolis. I, you know, I could go through all these things, but that's not what this is for me in this moment. Experience is non-conceptual. Concepts are things that arise in the moment. They have a place, certainly a place in terms of communicating with each other. But we use them so pervasively that we mistake it for reality. We take conceptual reality as truth. Like Minnesota seems like a reality, doesn't it? There's no Minnesota. (laughs) One of my most important teachers, Joseph Goldstein, who wrote the book that we've been using, Mindfulness, a Practical Guide to Awakening, very funny way and continuous way, year after year, would tell a story about the Big Dipper. It's hard to look up at the night sky when it's clear and not see the Big Dipper. But, I mean, I, we know it maybe, but it's, there is no Big Dipper. <laughs> the mind creates the idea of Big Dipper. And now it seems like, no, no, there is a Big Dipper, but no. I mean, I know you don't think there's really a Big Dipper, but <laughs> you see, it's really hard to take away the concept. It's hard to look at those particular constellation of stars and not see the Big Dipper. In the same way, it's hard to look at Jeremy and not see Jeremy, the concept, or whoever. But that's what we have to learn to do. And it's a training. And so we start with something easy, like being with the breath without needing an image. Like I bet some of you notice when you're aware of the breath that there's almost like a video in the mind of the breath. Like you create a visual image. It's a construction of the thinking mind, but now with images instead of language. Or you might be talking to yourself. And that's just what we have to work through because there's an addiction to conceptual meaning. And we're training the mind to go beyond that addiction. And we just have to be patient. We have to value it enough to be willing to invest the time it takes and to start over and to start over. Don't think that if you take a have a 30-minute sit and you start over a couple hundred times during that 30-minute sit, Like, don't tell yourself that was a bad sit. That's an amazing sit that you woke up 200 times and realized that you were caught in thought and had enough faith or confidence that this training was worth undertaking to put the attention back to the body and to track it, even if it were only for a few seconds before getting sucked back into worry or planning or judging or whatever. That's a powerful training. 
starting over again is powerful. I'll just end with a joke. Uh, uh, one of the great teachers from Burma, Saida um, Upandita, uh, evidently was um, someone was on retreat with him. And every day when you're training in this style, the Mahasi Saida style of practice, you meet with the teacher almost every day, short interview, and you just report. And uh, this this person reported, yeah, I only got distracted once in my hour sit. And, uh, and then the Saida asked him, well, how long? An hour. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not helpful. <laughs> but starting over again, like a lot of times, catching yourself lost in thought and realizing that's not helping, that's not what I'm doing now, and be willing to put down the attraction, the identification with the content and realize that's just thought. Because that's a, a little grieving there, like, I could fantasize about that. I could worry about that. I could plan that. But I don't have to. So that feeling of wanting to be the one who's absorbed into that content, that thinking, I'm going to let that person die and I'm going to be reborn as someone aware of sitting is like this or breathing in is like this, breathing out is like that. Let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words. And grateful for these wise teachings that have been handed down to us, all of the women, all of the men, through many, many generations. They had busy lives, complicated lives. They had a lot of greed, anger, delusion conditioned into their hearts and minds, like we do. And they undertook the practice, developed it as best they could, shared it, now we're the recipients of this wisdom stream, these wise teachings. So it's our turn now to set in motion the causes and conditions for real peace in the world, peace in our hearts, freedom from suffering. So may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.